Welcome to Innovations of Health, a podcast that gives you the latest in healthcare trends and news. We'll be sharing advances in digital technology and breakthroughs in healthcare that eases people's way and provides a better healthcare future for all. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Beth Shank, Executive Director of Environmental Stewardship for Providence, one of our nation's largest health systems with over 50 hospitals and a thousand clinics in seven Western states. Almost a year ago, we declared our commitment to become carbon negative by 2030. Healthcare is here to provide care and promote health, yet unfortunately, we also pollute significantly. Healthcare emits 8.5% of the nation's greenhouse gases. We use many concerning chemicals in our operations and pharmaceuticals, and we use tremendous amounts of supplies and equipment, which leads to enormous amounts of waste, and the waste serves as an indicator of excessive and sometimes inefficient consumption. This pollution and consumption harms our natural environment, contributing to climate change and other pollution, which then in turn puts health at risk. This is not a cycle we want to be a part of. A majority of individuals working in healthcare are clinicians with licenses or registration or work in the clinical delivery of care in some way. Yet in efforts to reduce the significant environmental impacts from healthcare, often clinicians are not part of the equation. Their time is valuable, they are incredibly busy, yet we need the expertise of clinicians to help change processes, practices, and purchases in healthcare. Today, you will learn from a clinical leader in Dr. Brian Cheesebro. Dr. Cheesebro is a physician and anesthesiologist who serves as medical director of environmental stewardship for our Oregon region, but leads numerous efforts across our entire health system, addressing the complex relationship between clinical practice and environmental stewardship. I'm thrilled to have the chance to talk with him and explore his thinking and work. Dr. Brian Cheesebro, welcome. Thanks, Beth. It's nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You bet. Well, it is not every day that a hospital system has a physician who is a medical director of environmental stewardship. Tell us about that. What does that mean and what do you do? Well, just to take one quick step back, you know, you're absolutely right. We in healthcare occupy really unique ground with respect to climate change, uh, environmental stewardship, and public health. Um, the WHO considers climate change to be the greatest risk to, to global public health in the 21st century. So we really need to pay attention and help build health resilience in our communities and adapt to our changing environment. Yet at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, the healthcare industry has a significant environmental footprint of our own. Uh, the health impacts of our, of our healthcare generated pollution are estimated to be on the same order of magnitude as the impacts of preventable medical errors, which we're all well aware of. Um, I guess, I mean, in some ways you could even argue that our disproportionate U.S. healthcare footprint is yet another medical error of sorts. So um, we do need to get to work in addressing all of our errors, um, and this one through um, mitigation of our of our footprint. And having a, a medical director of environmental stewardship really recognizes the crossroads um, that upon which we sit uh, between taking responsibility for our footprint as well as responsibility for the downstream impacts on public health, such that stewardship and health are really inextricably linked in our approach to healthcare and medicine. In Providence, our vision um, is health for a better world, which I really personally appreciate and respect. And I would say equally relevant to our approach uh, is the inverse of that vision, which would be a better world for health. Um, to realize these complementary visions, we, we do need to, we need the engagement and expertise of, of all of our caregivers, including our patient-facing patient facing clinicians. And that's really 
um, what I try to do in, in my role as a medical director is tie it all together and, and work to engage clinicians. That's great and so helpful to all, all of us as clinicians. So through your expertise as an anesthesiologist, you've really led the way nationally uh, in understanding environmental impacts of administering lower emissions uh, anesthetic agents. You have made me meaningful change in Oregon and across our health system, which has lowered emissions from anesthesia significantly. Tell us about that. And uh, yeah, we're excited to hear about your results and also your process. Thank you. Sure. Um, obviously, you know, as a, as a clinical anesthesiologist, um, the impact of anesthesia is, is near and dear to my heart. Um, it's a complicated subject, but over, overall in anesthesia, there are three commonly used anesthetic gases. There are some relatively minor clinical differences between the three, but there are major differences in their respective potency as greenhouse gases. Uh, the clinical management decisions made every day in our operating rooms uh, determine what anesthesia emissions eventually find their way to the atmosphere. Here on this slide, we're looking at the proportional clinical use uh, of these gases for every anesthesiologist and CRNA in Oregon in 2016. Each bar here is an individual clinician uh, and the colors uh, represent one of the three anesthesia gases. Uh, the most potent greenhouse gas anesthetic is desflurane, represented here by the color blue. Um, so you can see our baseline practice in 2016 contained a fair amount of blue. Um, blue bad. <laughs> so approaching our colleagues through a uh, clinical quality improvement framework. Uh, we educated, um, we engaged, we inspired, and kind of ran this iterative quality improvement loop um, over you know the year since 2016 and, and inspired them to change practice. Um, can you advance to, there we go. So here we see the results in 2020 and there are huge reductions in the amount of blue that we see in the state of Oregon. And I, and I really like looking at these individualized data uh, because it highlights the importance and significance of everyone moving together toward a collective goal, right? Any one individual um, alone may not seem that significant, but with everyone moving together, the, the impact is, is pretty dramatic. And here are the, the emissions results of all of those uh, clinicians' efforts. Um, Based on, based on our uh, baseline in 2016, uh, in 2020, there's been a 95% reduction um, in our greenhouse gas emissions from anesthesia. And that emissions reduction is the equivalent to driving 500 fewer miles in a Hummer. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of our anesthesia co colleagues in Oregon and those in, in our other Providence regions and other health systems taking similar steps to reduce uh, our collective anesthesia footprint. It really, it all adds up. That's great. And, and also it adds up to cost savings, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as it turns out, desflurane uh, bottle for bottle is, is twice as expensive as the alternatives. So in addition to a 95% uh, carbon emissions reduction, there's also, a, we saw a 70% cost reduction um, in inhaled anesthetics year over year, so. And the quality of care delivery is just as good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mo most people or most anesthesiologists kind of um, push back a little bit in terms of, you know, clinical workflow efficiencies. We are always taught that de patients with desflurane wake up faster, but in, in real world clinical practice, we've shown um, that that's not the case, that with, with practice, uh, anesthesia clinicians can wake patients up just as efficiently uh, using a lower carbon, lower cost anesthetic technique. That's great. It's a real win-win. And this is something that I've seen in our environmental stewardship work is very often when we're making the right choice for the environment, we're saving money, which, which makes it a little bit easier. Well, thank you for explaining that. That's so interesting. So I have another question for you. Just thinking broadly about clinical practice across the professions, what opportunities do clinicians have to reduce environmental impacts? Oh my goodness. I mean, there are, there are opportunities everywhere you look pretty much, you know, with, with mitigation, uh, from a clinical perspective, I think it's really important to realize that our clinical delivery of care in, in a large way drives consumption and demand for the resources you give healthcare. Um, so taking a, a critical eye to the way we deliver clinical care through, through a stewardship lens um, reveals tremendous opportunity to reduce our impacts and improve efficient efficiencies. Um, we should we should really strive to factor our decisions and behaviors by taking uh, taking a total lifestyle total life cycle cost of ownership perspective, um, looking at source reduction of materials on the supply side, uh, the environmental costs incurred during the clinical use phase like anesthesia emissions, as well as the downstream impacts um, resulting from end of life disposal of items. Along those lines, um, at Prov Providence St. Vincent here in the Portland area, um, we implemented a surgical supply optimization approach where we utilized EPIC data and process engineering to reduce the amount of wasted or unnecessarily used um, clinical supplies as well as um, uh, sterile reprocessing um, of durable equipment trays. And that process, um, as a result of that process, where we uh, reduced the associated greenhouse gas emissions by nearly a thousand metric tons of carbon equivalent and cut our water consumption by nearly a million gallons per year as a result of processing about 75,000 fewer uh, unused but opened uh, surgical equipment trays. Um, so working on the supply side of, of the equation is remarkably effective in, in reducing um, environmental impact. Similarly, we uh, last last year we conducted a, an in-depth environmental life cycle assessment of our laundry and linen service in the Portland area and found that laundering a single blanket consumes nearly two and a half gallons of water and emits two thirds of a kilo or um, of CO2 equivalents. And our clinical use and consumption of linens is the direct driver of these of these downstream impacts. So every time a clinician grabs three blankets when really one would do the trick, we generate a tremendous amount of unnecessary and unintended environmental impacts. And a similar kind of approach could, could really work um, in any clinical unit. Use what you need, don't open what you don't use, what, what you're not gonna use. And it sounds so simple, um, but again, when taken across, you know, 
individual actions when taken across a hospital system with with 50 hospitals and tens of thousands of caregivers, this kind of work adds up to really significant impacts pretty quickly. In addition to the source reduction, you know, clinicians also play a large role in, in pushing healthcare into a circular economy model where we can strive to maximize the life and use of products and materials um, through strategies of reuse, reprocessing, repurposing, recycling. Um, our current practices, the way, the way our, uh, our supply chain works often, we create this ongoing uh, demand for resource extraction and, and manufacture of single use disposable items, which we use once and then subsequently landfill or incinerate. And that's, that's an example of a linear kind of take, make, waste approach that's you know really inherently unstable and as as the end users of so many of these products clinicians as as consumers we our demand um, can alter the supply and, and we can we can and should demand more sustainable options going forward um, you know Beth you've you've in your role um, you've been incredibly active in addressing environmental uh, sustainability and, and healthcare stewardship um, from a nurse's perspective. You know, along the way, what have you seen and, and learned and, and what can you share with us? Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, I, you know, I come at this from a, through a clinical lens as well. And uh, I realized when I was early in um, practice that the way we practiced was a problem for the planet. I mean, I had already been engaged in environmental stewardship and uh, wilderness protection and that sort of thing. And I got to healthcare and thought, whoa, we create a lot of waste. You know, at that time, climate change wasn't so much a conversation, but but waste certainly was. So that's kind of how I got started. And I've, over the years, I've realized that nurses are in the middle of so much in healthcare, including leadership positions. And we can have a real impact on these things you discuss from supplies, waste, chemicals, even healthy foods. Um, and so this makes an Environmental. I, I think the, what we were talking about earlier in terms of the when we degrade the planet, we are degrading our opportunities for optimal health. Therefore, all of this is a practice issue, and I think it's a nursing issue. So all clinical professions have oaths or standards, and this slide shows us that in medicine, a common one that is quoted, it's not the full Hippocratic Oath, is, is first do no harm. We take that through all of the professions. The one uh, uh, on the bottom on the left is from pharmacy, and they have also lengthier uh, uh, statements, but they commit themselves to the service of mankind and relief of human suffering. I think all of the clinical professions have standards that commit us to health. Um, nursing has uh, two I want to point out here. One is we have a social policy statement that links um, a lot of different things to our contract with society and then what society uh, promises us as well. And one of them is that we, it clarifies our, um, excuse me, that we are here in our practice, we need to promote the health of the public. Now, you and I have talked about this a lot, that when we're in a, an acute care situation, caring about with caring for the patient in front of us, it's not always easy to think of these global issues like climate change. And yet that's what we're asked to do with this, with this uh, commitment that we want to think about the care of the public as well as each individual. And then the other statement there is our uh, standard of practice that says the registered nurse practices in an environmentally safe and healthy manner. So I don't think we can get much clearer about that one, that we need to basically not pollute in our practice. Um, 
so I do think we have a professional obligation and also we're well positioned to reduce environmental impacts of healthcare. Another way I've been engaging clinicians is by measuring their perceptions, motivations, and behaviors about climate change and health. I've led the development of the CHANCE survey, and I invite any health professional who may be here listening right now to point your phone camera at this QR code, and uh, it will open the survey on your, on your phone. We developed this survey in 2017, tested it in 2018, and have been collecting data ever since. Though we started with nurses, it is now open to all health professionals. So please, I welcome you to take it. Um, it's been used in over 30 nations now, and it is currently available in English, Spanish, and Portuguese, and soon in Finnish and Korean, because we have students there working on it. Uh, this website here is where uh, the survey is housed at Washington State University, where I'm adjunct faculty. You can learn more there. And also we have a way that people could use this in their own uh, research, a way that people can uh, log into the survey themselves. The respondents so far have been quite aware um, the, of the impacts of climate and health and yet and, and motivated to act on it. However, the main reasons they do not act is that they're overwhelmed, they don't know what to do, and it's too complex. So that's why it's important for us to help explain, link, and break down to other professionals who may be interested, but not quite as interested as we are, perhaps, and um, don't really know what to do and where to start. I also was really surprised that uh, we have categories, never, rarely, sometimes, frequently. And when we asked about how often they contact elected officials about climate and health, the vast majority was never 60% or rarely another 22%. I was surprised by that. So we do have some work to do on advocacy. Um, in the end, I feel that um, working toward planetary health, in, including addressing climate change, is a professional obligation for many, if not all of the health professions, since the professions pose such risks to health. Further, further I feel we're in privileged positions. We're well-educated, we're very respected, typically have socioeconomic advantages, and we speak from powerful platforms with strong voices. I hope that in our journey in Providence, we will gather many clinicians to join us in this effort. And as you've made clear, Brian, we need clinicians expertise to make the needed practice changes. I'm so happy to have you as a partner. So let me ask you a slightly personal question. Okay. Which is, so it's clear that this topic is important to the world and to you personally, but what sparked your interest and what drives you in this work? Um, well, you know, really, uh, way back, right? So as a kid, um, I was raised on a ranch in Western Montana, not far from where you live. Um, and growing up on a ranch, stewardship of, of the land and water and air is really important and became a core value that, that I continue to hold today. And while I don't, while I no longer live on a ranch, I live in a city, um, Stewardship and kinship with our environment is is no less important or relevant. Um, several years ago, I was really um, struggling through through a bout of solastalgia, um, otherwise known as eco grief or eco anxiety, and <clears throat> it I, you know you you develop this feeling of of hopelessness or helplessness about the health of of the planet and and people. And rather than kind of ride that, that descending spiral, so to speak, um, I chose to, to do what I could to take as active a role as possible in addressing stewardship um, in my greatest area of opportunity and influence, which is healthcare. 
um, coming from a background um, in addressing clinical quality in anesthesia and perioperative medicine, I have certainly found that applying that quality perspective and approach to issues of, of healthcare sustainability is, is particularly effective and resonant with, with clinicians. Adopting specific stewardship metrics really helps focus uh, attention and helps all of us um, hold ourselves accountable for, for the impacts of healthcare. Um, with respect to the health impacts of environmental degradation and climate change, climate change overall, you know, we all contribute to this global crisis, um, but the suffering really clusters in vulnerable communities where the degrees of exposure, uh, susceptibility, and, and, and underlying disparities are, are the greatest. And this, this injustice really is, is compounded as these poor and, and vulnerable populations, they're often the ones who contribute the least, the fewest em emissions, the, the least amount of pollution, yet they disproportionately bear the brunt of, of the health impacts of, of environmental damage. And within Providence, justice is, is one of the core values of Providence. And, and it's a value from which I, I also draw inspiration as we, as we work uh, to focus our commitments toward issues of environmental justice. Thank you. Well said. And it does remind me of one of my favorite quotes from Laudato Si, which is the Pope's encyclical on the environment. When this is paraphrasing, we do not have a social crisis and an environmental crisis. We have a complex integrated social environmental crisis, which must be solved by treating the same root causes. So I think you're absolutely right. And that resonates with me in Providence and, and personally that to anchor this injustice and know that we're helping to heal in two directions as we approach this work is, I think, really important. Um, we've got a couple questions coming in, but but I do definitely want to ask you one one more, which which is another key commitment of ours is excellence. And I I you know what I see again and again, especially through your work, Brian, is that by being very smart about what we're doing, by analyzing the data, by choosing better practices. Not only do we help drive down our emissions, waste, and cost, but we del deliver excellent care. Would you could you comment on that a little? Um, yeah, I, I think that it 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 harkens back to to what I mentioned a second ago about it, uh, applying to, uh, attention to stewardship through a clinical quality lens and and using that process to to um, prospectively plan out your your scope and and measures to make sure that um, that that the interventions that that we plan to reduce our, our environmental footprint also take into account um, clinical safety for our patients clinical efficacy um, financial cost and environmental cost and and in the end that's um, kind of the cultural transformation that I hope that we can all um, move toward is is to to adopt a new healthcare value proposition that that incorporates environmental cost on on equal if not higher footing than financial cost because the environmental cost is um, has such such clear and, and devastating downstream health uh, implications you bet and you know as we've talked about the social cost of carbon which um is a high number it's a, it's a lot of dollars and 
those may well be underestimated, but that turns the cost of inaction into millions, if not billions of dollars, just for us. It's, it's really interesting to think about. Um, I do have a question that came in from um, outside and we have just a couple minutes. Does Providence now or plan to train physicians, excuse me, clinicians and caregivers to be more mindful of using products during patient care? So I think we've both been working on that a little bit, but how would you answer that first? Absolutely, and I, and I think, uh, you know, the, the linen life cycle assessment example is, is a perfect, is a perfect uh, example. Uh, so last, last summer when we went through that, the work of doing that life cycle assessment, the, you know, it wasn't just out of academic interest. It was to use that information to uh, fuel an, another educational initiative, uh, looking at linen consumption and uh, reaching out to the caregivers in all clinical units because linen is, you know, a ubiquitously used uh, resource in healthcare. So it, it does have a, a broad reach across all clinical units and, and uh, environments. So that's what we're planning to do this year, uh, this summer in the Oregon region is, is to re-engage caregivers specifically around uh, linen utilization and, and relying on this, this underpinning of understanding environmental impact of clinical decisions. And, and once, you, once you take a project like that through um, and you have kind of a, a proof of concept, the next one becomes easier and the next one becomes easier and, and people expect you to, to, to step forward with, with similar stories and, and, and similar types of information. Um, and this is, this is one that we're gonna start with um, beyond anesthesia. Um, and I hope that, that we continue to, to find great examples and, and continue to, to drive that conversation. That's great. And I know from working with you how, how much we, we both, as, as do others on our team, uh, depend on data. And so by having access to that data that we've been so, so you know, doggedly trying to collect, that gives us the stories to tell, to say, hey, here's how much linen you used per adjusted patient day or how many blankets per case or, or whatever those um, normalized metrics may be. So I, I think that's super helpful. And um, I hope to the questioner that, yes, this will spread in pockets until we develop, and I'm gonna tell you now what we're developing soon, which is a clinical collaborative for environmental stewardship in Providence. So any of you who might be listening who are from Providence and would be interested in that, keep your eye open for it, or you can email either, either Brian or, or me, and um, we'll, um, we'll be developing that over time. Because what we have identified today is scratching the surface of the potential we have to do more quality improvement, more cost savings, and really drive down our emissions. In fact, I think that we're, de we're, we're really depending on clinical input uh, to transform healthcare in the way that we need to in Providence to, to decrease our emissions. So I think we are out of time. So Brian, thank you so much for spending this time today and sharing your passion and knowledge. It is so interesting. And to all of you who are turning in, thank you for joining us and we will see you again soon. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate the invitation. You bet. Thank you for joining us today on Innovations of Health from Providence. We look forward to continuing this important discussion on the latest in healthcare trends and news in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to future podcasts on Dash Radio, under Future of Health Radio, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence, and Instagram, you can find us under Providence Health Systems. 
To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit providence.org. Thanks for listening.